0: So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, again, we're going through the series dealing with the phrases that Paul has of, I would not have you ignorant, brethren. And this is the sixth and final one, and this is the third week I think we've spent on this. Um, One, just because there were a couple issues that we wanted to make sure that we brought up. And then also, uh, last week we talked about the actual event. And uh, this week, what we want to do is finish it off with uh, some wonderful truths there. But notice, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll start off in verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Father, we thank you once again to... Uh, to be able to, to join here together with saints of like precious faith, that we can uh come here, study these things together, be edified, be built up. Uh as we partake in the the, the luncheon afterwards, um, may we come to a, a, a better understanding of each other, that we can uh we can work with one another a little bit better, that we would allow your word to be the final authority in all things, um, not just in our lives, but uh as as we are together, not just individually, but as together. Uh, that we can um, be to the praise and honor and glory of your grace, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> now, one of the things that we've talked about this is at the end of this dispensation of the grace of God, we always we you know we know Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, and rose again. Uh, Acts chapter seven, you have the the stoning of Stephen, where the nation of Israel falls. You've got the diminishing of the nation of Israel through the Book of Acts. And then what God's doing from Acts chapter nine until the catching away of the church, the body of Christ, is forming the body of Christ to do something. Right? There's a purpose of why we're here. There's a purpose in which He's forming the body of Christ to do something, and that's one of those things that we want to be able to look at today. Is what's He going to do? Right? So we've talked about here one of the things that Paul brings up that he tells the folks there. He says, "I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, that this is going to happen." Right Now we've talked about it before and we've gone over to Second Thessalonians where they've lost their hope because somebody wrote a letter or somebody was saying, hey, you shouldn't follow this or you've missed it or whatever it is. And one of those things that he's reminding them here is what? I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Why? That you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. There is a hope that we have, but there's also a hope that those that are asleep have. Now we talked before, if you drop down, um if you drop down to verse fifteen, notice he says, For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are what? Asleep. So if we're alive and they're asleep, then that means that they are what? Not alive. Which means they are what? Dead. <laughs> Alright, we dealt with that issue. It's not a soul death. It's not that, it's their body died. We talked about that and we went through that. The body is what sleeps. Now, one of the things we've not really got into because that wasn't the issue, but we wanted to deal with that because that was part of what people do with these verses. But I want us to notice something here real quick. What Paul's saying here is what? I don't want you to be ignorant that those that are asleep, those that are dead, don't sorrow as others that have no hope. There's a hope that we have. We talked about that that word hope isn't, man, I hope it happens. It's, I know it's going to happen and I'm confident that it's going to happen. And I, I believe that that's going to happen because the verses tell me that it's going to happen. It's a confident expectation of something that we know will take place. Now, that's something that we have as a hope. That's also something that those that have gone on before us, they still have that hope. Now, they're not going to be caught up but what are they going to do? We find out over in First Corinthians fifteen that we that those that are asleep they what they rise first, and as he says here he says when, when then then we shall be what in verse seventeen shall be what caught up together with them to meet them in the air. Now, <clears throat> what I want us to be able to do is let's go take a look at some things real quick. Go over to First Corinthians or my bad. Go over to Romans fourteen. We'll start at Romans chapter fourteen. And I want us to think about some things. And so then really what I want to do is I want to look at what takes place there. Okay. When we go to meet the Lord, notice over in First Thessalonians 4, it says what? The Lord himself shall descend. You know, we were talking a couple weeks ago. And I think you'd ask me which 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 song it was. Um, it "Is well with my soul," right? That fourth verse, just the Lord shall descend. That just I get chill bumps every time I think about that, and it's just hard for me to sing through it because that just it's going to be a glorious day. The Lord Himself shall descend. And we will appear with Him in glory. Now, what I want us to be able to do is look at some of these things and I want us to know and understand that if this is our hope and we have that catching away as a hope, then what takes place there is not something that we should be fearful of. Because it's it's a wonderful thing. Stop and think about this real quick. <clears throat> If you know that you could get rid of all the bad stuff in your life, wouldn't that be a glorious thing? <laughs> That's exactly what's going to happen that day. And I want us to keep that in mind as we go through here. Notice in Romans chapter 14. I want us to look at a couple of things just to kind of keep these things in mind and in perspective. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. And I want us to think about this as well. In the context of Romans 14, Romans 14 is dealing with what? Weaker brother, stronger brother. How is it that the weaker brother is treating the stronger brother? And how is the stronger brother treating the weaker brother? Right? Because that's that issue as we go through here. Notice in verse 10, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? Now, You stop there and you think real quick. He's dealing with the weaker brother, stronger brother thing. Why would you come along to a weaker brother and just put them down and beat them down just to be able to show that you know more, right? And there's all kinds of ideas that come to my mind that people use. Christmas time, for instance. Every Christmas, Facebook turns into, you put up a Christmas tree, you're a pagan, you're not saved. And I'm like, good grief, just calm down. Well, Easter's, coming too. Easter's coming up, <laughs> but a lot of times we use our knowledge that's puffed us up to put people down rather than build them up. So that's the issue. What happens if you come along and you beat somebody down? What have you just done? Why dost thou set thy brother at not thy set not thy brother? Don't make them don't make them nothing. Build them up, right? In the context of what he's dealing with here, he's talking about edifying. We see that down in verse 19. But notice here, the rest of this verse. Why? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, that phrase shows up two times. This is one of them. We'll look at the other one here in a moment. But what I want us to think about is this day right here, there is the judgment seat of Christ that we're going to go and stand before Christ and what he's going to do is it's going to be a wonderful thing. Let me be honest with you. It will be a wonderful thing. We'll look at it and we'll see that. It's not something to be feared. It's something to look forward to because all of our junk is gone. We'll see that as we go through. But what happens is, what's, that, what's he say? For we shall all... Of course, he's talking to saved individuals there. He's including himself, and he says, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. (coughs) 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We've dealt with some of these verses in the past, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 through 9. He's dealing with some things about this earthly tabernacle, right? This earthly house that we have. We know that it's one day going to dissolve, especially those that are asleep, right? What happens to, what happens to this body when we die? It goes back to the dust, Right? We know that that's going, to, that's going to take place. He's talking about that dissolving, but what do we have in place of it? You know, we talked about in the last session about the put off and put on. One of these days, we're going to put off this mortal flesh and we're going to put on immortal. By the way, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, like that, you're not, you're not even going to notice other than the fact of like, man, I don't need these glasses anymore. My back's My back's not hurting. I can breathe, right? Uh, that's, you know, we talked about last time or a couple of weeks ago, when Paul when Paul goes to the third heaven, he says, "Whether in the body, in the body, or out of the body, I cannot tell. I didn't know that I was in the body or not. I couldn't tell because they're so close." When when we think and understand that this earth was modeled after that heavenly tabernacle and what we see down here is just like that and the moment that we go there, we're going to see exactly what we see now, but without sin. We're going to be there without sin. It's a wonderful thing to think about. But notice here, he says, he says all this and he says, because of that, I'm going to walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 10, notice, why? For we, all, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone, everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. <coughs> now, pause there for just a second. He says what? Everything that everyone may receive the things done what? In his body. Not with. Notice it doesn't say with. It says in. Well, what's in your body? Your spirit and your soul. We've talked about it before, right? Uh, We've drawn up the three circles. Spirit, soul, and body. We're those three. When we trust Christ, we come along and we have a circumcision where that flesh is cut away from the spirit and the soul. What we have inside of us is our spirit and soul. What are we doing with that that's on the inside? What are we filling it with? Are we filling it with the Scripture or are we filling it with what the world has to offer? That's what we've got to always think about because those two things are going to come in whether we know it or not. And what we've got to do is we want to bring this and push that out. How do you do that? Put off, put on, right? The greatest put it off and put on takes place at the rapture. Okay? But notice, verse 11. This is one of those, a lot of times people. Notice, verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Is that a terrible thing to look forward to? That's not a terror. That's not a terror. But what is? One of these days, we know that this earth will be destroyed. Christ is going to come back and he's going to strike through kings. There's going to be blood up to the bridles of the the horses. That's not going to be good. That's what we use to persuade men. This isn't terror. That out there will be. That's what motivates us. The love of Christ constrains us. The love that we see that God has shown. Somebody asked us Monday night on the POW Talk. (coughs) Was it Monday night? Yeah, Monday night. They're like, how can I praise God when children are suffering throughout the world? I'm like, that's a good question. You know how? Romans 8. Go read Romans 8. The whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Not just children, adults, animals, trees, whatever's out here, the whole creation groans and travails together in pain together until now. Now, there's some other things with that that I don't have time to get into, but what do we know is we live in a sin-cursed world. Sin is random. It falls on who it falls on. That's why. And I read Romans 8 and I can say the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. And i look at that and say it doesn't matter what comes my way. I get a glory in that. That's what allows me to praise the Lord. In fact, that's what he tells us to do in chapter 8. We could see that. But there's a terror out there that's inescapable. It's not this. Notice. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. And he goes on down through there. So he's saying, there's a terror out here, and that's what we use to persuade men. That's not the terror. All right? And hopefully we can, we can see that as we get down through here. Notice, <clears throat> let's keep on reading. Verse 12, For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, and whether we be sober, it is for your cause." Why? For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So what we're looking at is, that's an idea of we've got a whole bunch of people that are headed that way, and what we should do is go and evangelize to them and tell them there's some great information, and our our motivation should be the love of Christ. But we persuade men about that terror that they need to escape that. And the way they escape that is getting in Christ. <clears throat> now, again, we think about some of these things. Go over real quick to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> and I want us to, to continue keeping these things in mind. And then we'll talk about this little bit more Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 if ye then be risen with Christ pause I do this all the time every time I read this verse are you are you risen with Christ? Well, according to Romans chapter 6, if you've trusted in the death, brand, and resurrection of Christ, according to Romans chapter 6, you are. So, what he's going to say is, since that's true, because that's what he's saying, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God, when Christ, notice, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. That's something. That's this up here. We're going to appear with Him in glory. Now, because of that, he says in verse 5 and on, mortify your members. Pay attention to what you're doing. The interesting, thing, the interesting thing is he's dealing with that outward man and how is it that you deal with that outward man is the what? The inward man. And we see that um, as we go down through and you go through that stuff. So the issue is we know that this is going to take place. He's going, he's going to, we're going to appear with him, right? Um. I was gonna go somewhere else, but let's not go there. Go to First Corinthians chapter three. First Corinthians chapter three, and let's talk about let's talk about this thing right here. The judgment seat of Christ is different than the great white throne judgment. Great white throne judgment is only for those that are that are that are lost. The judgment seat of Christ is only for those who are members of the church, the body of Christ. Notice this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's start off in verse. Start off in verse 3. Paul, Paul starts off and he talks about the folks in Corinth. He says, I can't talk to you as spiritual. Because you're carnal, you're babes in Christ. He says, I can't give you meat, but I can only give you milk. Notice in verse 3. For you ye are yet carnal, for whereas, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? <clears throat> now, that's another one of those where i say, don't say what you're wanting to say, Greg. That's something else. Notice verse 4. Let's keep on going. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase." Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own what? Labor. Now there's labor involved. Now, we talked about that before. First Corinthians fifteen ten, right? Paul says, "But by the grace of God I am what I am, and I, I labored more than they all because of the because of the grace that is in me." There's a motivation that we have because of the grace that we have. Now. <clears throat> It's not a motivation. The motivation isn't so we get rewards. The motivation is because Christ died for us. So that kind of nips that thing in the bud when you start talking about that. What we, what we want to look at here is what? There's one that planteth, one that watereth. What's going to happen is they're going to receive reward. Now, normally, what, what a lot of times people say is going door to door knocking on doors, I get a reward for that. That should, that should be what we do anyway, <laughs> right? I mean, that should be part of what we do. What's interesting to me is when you look at Romans 14, Paul's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. It's right after he's been talking about how you edify one another. What are you doing with what you know? Are you putting your weaker brother down or are you building the weaker brother up? So then you start thinking about, okay, if that's the context he's talking about that and the context he's dealing with there is edifying, building each other up, then what are we planting and watering? Isn't just the gospel, but it's one plants, another one comes along, waters, what? The gospel, not just the gospel, but what? Who we are in Christ, Somebody comes along and says, hey, you're complete in Christ. Somebody else comes along and says, hey, you're complete in Christ. You're like, you know what? That's true because the verse says it. What have you just done? Both people's edified. They just, one guy doesn't know it. So the context there, he's dealing with edification. So it's not just, you ever met Jesus type stuff, right? I told Delilah, I said in school one day, I shouldn't have done this, but I did. A kid knocks on my door and I go back and I was like, I already know Jesus, but I I shouldn't have done that, but I did. I still have my job. Anyway. But here's the thing. First Corinthians chapter three, he's going to tell us some stuff that we should be mindful of. Right? What are we doing with what we know? Are we building up or are we tearing down? Are we causing and in this context here too, are we causing envying in verse three or strife or divisions? Is that what we're doing with what we know? Or are we building up? And again, we see this same thing in the context. Verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. That issue of taking heed... Pay attention to how you build on that foundation. What are we doing with what we know? Are we building up or tearing down? Notice. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire. Then he goes on down dealing with we are the temple of God and how we're supposed to use that. So that, that again, goes along with the same thing. But here's, here's what's interesting. Let's take a look at this. Verse 12, he gives us what? Gold, silver, precious stones. We've already ta- we've, al- we've always talked about that. That's, that's taking Pauline truth, doing what we're supposed to, building into it with what we're supposed to, building in here. And then what are we doing with what we've built in here? right? Wood, hay, and stubble, that would be What are we? what's the other stuff that we could possibly build would be what? The messianic stuff or the mosaic stuff. Are we building that stuff? And are we trying to say, people, you have to come to church on Sunday, you're going to hell. That's not it. You have to tithe every Sunday, you're going to hell. That's not it. What he's saying there is, what are we doing with what we know? Are we building up or are we tearing down? How do you build up? Sound, sound doctrine. That's the issue, right? Verse 13. <clears throat> every man's work shall be made manifest. That's the stuff that we're doing with what we know. For the day shall declare it. It shall be re- revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Now again, that work there is the building. What are we building up in us? That's the work that we're doing. All right? So then when we see, notice he says, for the, uh, the fire shall, shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Not how much it is, but what sort it is. What's the sort? Is it gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, stubble? Right? What is it that we're building up in us? What are we doing with what we're building up? And the issue there has to do with what? Quality, not quantity. We, we've, we've talked about this in, in Matthew chapter 7. There will be people that day that at the great white throne judgment that's going to say, that's going to say what? Well, judgment of the nations, are going to say what? We've done all these many wonderful works in your name. And Christ is going to say what? I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. So it's not doing a bunch of stuff. It's doing the right thing with the right stuff. And that's, that's the issue. Notice, if any man's, verse 14, if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Hold your place there. Go over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. chapter three um, verse let's start off in verse uh verse fourteen we'll start off in verse fourteen <clears throat> well yeah we'll start off in verse fourteen well start off in verse twelve there we go put on therefore. "...as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness." Now again, when we've talked about that charity, when Paul, when Paul uses that word agape and it shows up in your King James Bible as, a, as charity... He's dealing with a specific type of love that's different than other loves. It's the love between other believers. You go over to 1 Corinthians 13, that's what he's dealing with. The issue there is edification. He says, I want to show you a better way to edify, and the way you edify is through charity. All right? So that's what he's dealing with. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. What is it that if everybody in that, and again, we talked about the local assembly, if everybody in the local assembly is treating each other with charity, what happens is that is the bond of perfectness. It's the bond that brings that perfectness that we have together, and it bonds us together. Those parts that are fitly joined together in Ephesians 4, that every joint supplieth, there were, that's the bond, that's the thing that brings us together and holds us together. Verse 15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. How? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Then what's interesting, he brings up what? Wives, husbands, children, fathers, servants. And he says, based on that, based on letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands, own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands love your wives and be not bitter against them. This is this is interesting. Children obey your parents in all things. Why? Because I said so. No, for it's well-pleasing unto the Lord. Do you know why? Because that's well-pleasing unto the Lord. That's the motivation as a child to obey the parent. It's not because I said so. It's because we understand that above the wife, above the children is the wife and above the wife is the father and the fa- above the father is Jesus Christ. He's the reason that all these things below it take place. And then what's interesting is, verse 21, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger. (laughs) It's kind of interesting, kind gets the guys there too. Lest they be discouraged. Why? Lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. I want you to stop and think about this real quick. When we go to to our job, we should be the best employee that our our job has. Why? Not to make our, our superior know that I'm doing my job. It's because I have Christ in me and He is the thing that motivates me to go and do my job the best I possibly can. Situations notwithstanding. And notice verse 23, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men. Why? Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. So when he talks about this reward over in 1 Corinthians 3, the reward of the inheritance is what he's doing with. And what's interesting, go back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, What's interesting as he's going through here, that's what he's doing. with. What are we doing? We're building into our spirit and soul Pauline truth. What are we doing with that Pauline truth? Are we, again, carnal? um, as As he says to the folks in Corinth, are we just doing it for envy or strife or divisions? Or are we doing it the way it's supposed to be done to build each other up? Verse 15. The opposite, if we don't build Pauline truth into our body, and if we don't do what we're supposed to with it, if any man's work should be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So here's what I want us to know and understand. Your sins were dealt with there. They're not dealt with there. That's great news. Mm -hmm. Years ago, a guy told me, he says, I don't know if I want to go through the judgment seat of Christ because it's going to be like I'm sitting there watching a big movie screen and Christ is going to show me all the bad stuff I did and that's not what it is. He's already dealt with that there for you. There he's going to deal with what? What are you doing with the life that I've given you? And again, it's not just knocking on doors, presenting the gospel. That's part of it, obviously. But what are we doing with each other, right? Um, let's talk about this inheritance. Go over to Colossians chapter one and get in Ephesians chapter one. I know we've talked about this a little bit, but I want to. It's always good. It's always good to be reminded. Um, Paul tells Titus. What? To affirm these things constantly. (laughs) When we go and we appear before Christ, we appear before this judgment seat of Christ, afterwards what He's going to do is He's going to go and present us to the Father as blameless, without spot, and blemish. That means all the stuff we did in our body that burns away, all that stuff's gone, and then we go be presented to the Father as perfect. That's when our standing and our state will match. We're perfect now in Christ. We're not perfect here in our state. But one of these days, our state and our standing will match and we're going to go and be presented to the Father. And guess what? Just as we've got a job to do here, we're going to have a job to do out there too. And it's not floating on clouds and all that stuff. You know, the old, uh, um, it's a wonderful life. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. 100% of the time, Hollywood gets Scripture wrong, all right? Yeah. Even though they try their best, there's always something. But I want us to see this real quick. Go over to Colossians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 1. We'll look at Colossians first. <clears throat> and I want us to think about something. The very first, very first verse in the Scripture says what? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, all right? So in the beginning, God created heaven, and earth, right? Notice here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. <clears throat> Talking about Christ in verse 14 leads us to verse 15. Who is the image of the invisible God? And it's not a question, right? He's saying that you talked about Christ in the previous verse, who is the image of the invisible God? The firstborn of every creature, for by Him were all things created. Pause there. Does that include heaven and earth? Yes. But I want you to notice there's something else too, right? For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. So what we see on the earth is what? visible what's in heaven we can't see it because it's invisible to us mainly because there is a whole bunch of water between us and the third heaven right that's one of the reasons why we can't see it but here's the other thing he tells us what those things are that he created and it's not just those but he tells us there are things in heaven and things in earth that he created. What are they? Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. So you have what? Thrones, dominions, principalities, powers in the heavens. You have thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers in the earth, right? Right? Those are the things that are in heaven and those are the things that are in earth that Christ created. If it wasn't for Colossians 1 and Ephesians 1, you wouldn't know that, right? Is there a verse like Genesis 1, 1 that says God created at a particular time those positions and those positions? Not until you get to Colossians, or first you get to Ephesians 1, you see them, and then Colossians 1, you see them. To me, I find that interesting that throughout all scripture, you don't see that you have stuff in heaven and in earth. To me, I find that interesting. But notice, question, when did he create them? Genesis Genesis 1.1. Had to have. That's interesting, don't you think? Yes. So there's positions of rank and authority there and there. Just didn't mention it. Just didn't mention it. You think there might be a reason why? Throw that out there for your for your own further study. Notice in verse 17. And he is before all things. What's the all things? Those positions, because that's what he's talking about with all things in the context, right? And by him, all things consist. Those things are there. They're created by him. They exist and they consist because of him. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Why? For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. Having made peace with the blood of His cross by Him to reconcile all things. What's that reconciliation there have to do with? Those positions. Those positions are not in a good standing right now. God will one day change the positions, the standing of those positions and he's got to reconcile them those positions notice by him to reconcile unto himself all things I say whether they be things where in earth or things where in heaven praise the Lord right again to me I find that very fascinating and you're going down through there but notice go over to Ephesians chapter 1 Ephesians chapter 1, we see an almost identical list in Ephesians 1, verse 20. In the context, he's talking about the working of His mighty power, verse 20, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places. By the way, the heavenly places are real and the heavenly places are organized. Verse 21, where did he set him at his own right hand? Well, notice, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. So he's put above far, this is beautiful, far above all these things. Notice, and hath put all things, what are the things? The principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name in his name put all things under his feet and give and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all and all. He's going to fill all these positions and all these positions one day. Ephesians 1 talks about in the dispensation of the fullness of times that He might reconcile both all things in heaven and all things in earth even in Him. In one. In Him. When we think about those positions that's our inheritance. We get... Um, real quick, go over, to, go over to Jude, and then also get um, Revelation chapter 12, and we'll finish up with this. <clears throat> Isn't it wonderful to know that your inheritance, it's not money that's corruptible, it's not a car that'll fall apart. It's not a house that will fall down. It's not land that can be taken from you in a moment's notice. But it is a position of rank and authority that cannot be taken away from you. You've got it already. And you're going to be fit for that position when you're presented to the Father. And And the Son's going to say, Father... This is what our plan produced, to take over these positions of rank and authority in the heavens. Put them where you will. That's just—it's chilling, and it is beautiful. Yes. It says under his feet. Mhm. we part of his feet? That's a good question. <laughs> we'll, well, I'm going I'm I'm to talk about that. Okay. But here's the thing. Uh... Romans Romans deals with that. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, that's a good question. So, the question was, it says under his feet. We'll, and we're part of that feet. We'll talk about that. <clears throat> Notice here. Jude chapter 1, because there's only one. Notice in verse 6. And the angels which kept not their first estate... They had an estate, and they kept it not. Why? Because they failed. Notice, kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. He hath reserved in everlasting chains unto under darkness unto the judgment of that great day. There's going to be a day where they're going to be judged out there. They left their habitation. They left their position of rank and authority because Lucifer, who became Satan, says. I will be like the Most High God. I'm going to put my throne above the stars of heaven. And if you come and be a part of what I'm doing, I will give you your own kingdom. Isn't that really what he said to Christ too? By the way, that's what he was selling to Eve in the garden. Hmm? Same thing he was selling to Christ. He sold it to Eve. It wasn't just partake of this fruit. She'll know some stuff. But partake of this fruit and I'm going to make you as the gods and I'm going to give you your own kingdom. Because are you sure God told you what He told you? Because what did God tell Adam? You're going to have this and I want you to have dominion over the earth. You've got the whole earth. Satan comes along and says, are you sure that's what he said? I'm going to give you your own kingdom just to take this fruit. Because God's hiding something from you. Revelation chapter 12. For time's sake. Revelation chapter 12, verse 3 and 4. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten thorns and uh, ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, uh, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Verse 5 and 6 deals with the man-child. And then in verse 6, it talks about in the midst of that 70th week that the the the, the children are going to go into the wilderness for a thousand 203 score days. Verse 7. Notice. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Their place. They've left their habitation. They've left their first estate. Their, their place is no more found in heaven. Notice. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of of their testimony, and they loved not their, their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, notice, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Um, when you look at that, he says, "Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them." In the middle of that tribulation period, we're presented to the God the Father as unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, and we're installed in those positions, in those heavenly places that they left. I'm convinced 12:12 is the only time you see the body of Christ in the book of Revelation ye that dwell in them. We're there. That's the only place. You can even come close to it. But what happens is what? We're presented to the Father and He says, Father, put them in the position that they are now meet to perform. And we're installed there for His glory. The rapture is more than just being caught up. The rapture is we're caught up. We go, to the, we go in front of Christ and He says, I'm going to get rid of all this stuff and I'm going to give you this reward of the inheritance and I'm going to go present you to the Father. as perfect. That's a hope that we have and those that are asleep also have. And He says, for that reason I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, that we sorrow not as others which have no hope Because we have hope. And that's His point there. There's something that's going to happen out there that's greater than we can even imagine. Praise the Lord for that. We get to be a part of His his glorification. Not just now on the earth, which we can, but out in the ages to come as well. And that's what that's going to be. You've got those positions out there. And God, through His long suffering, is allowing another day of grace that we might be able to go and preach a gospel or bring those that are saved to the knowledge of the truth. And we get to be a part of that. Father, we thank You once again for the time that we have. As we've gone through this series, may we be mindful of of all the, the topics that Paul brings up here that we should not be ignorant of that we should know that we should operate based off of that um, we would be to the praise and honor and glory of your grace that we know that there is something greater than this world and we shouldn't be caught up with what's going on down here but we should where you're seated at the right hand that we should look at life based on that and know that there's something so much greater that's waiting on us we thank you for this day we thank you for your word and we thank you most of all for jesus christ and it's in his name we pray amen